and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast number 106. Today is Sunday, August 6, 2017. And today's guest is uh, an American organist, Weston Jennings, who is visiting uh, uh, Vilnius uh, and is going to play later tonight uh, a recital in, in my church, St. John's Church at Vilnius University. When we are recording, it's not uh, August, but it's uh, July the 1st, so it will go live on on August 6th, so we'll be chatting about the things that we both love and enjoy, which is obviously organ playing. Uh, I'll be very interested to know about uh, things, what you're working on, uh, things you experienced so far in your organist career, things you find challenging, uh, uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty of things to talk after that too. Thank you so much, uh, Weston, you're very generous. My pleasure, great to be here. Wonderful. Uh, how you do you like Vilnius so far? It's lovely, it's uh, really wonderful to be back. As you know, my first uh, encounter with Vilnius was on a trip with Yale University. Uh, the organist, uh, well, not only the organist, but the entire Institute of Sacred Music uh, had a study trip to the um, Baltic countries and uh, we went to a lot of places and, uh, and Vilnius was one of them and it's, it's just great to be back and uh, as we walked up the tower this afternoon it was uh, great memories to when we pointed out the different churches mm-hmm. uh, which ones we'd seen and uh, you know uh, been to and, and which parts of town we'd traveled so it's great to be back I'm so glad you contacted me um, about the opportunity to play here because yes we met like one year ago and um, entire like 30 or 20 people were traveling together with you but only you were um, you took initiative and actually gave your card to us, Osha and me. And um, I thought, this organist is already planning something for the future, and this is gr- great. Uh, I wish many other people would do the same thing, take uh, or um, seize the opportunities when they arise, or even see and notice the opportunities when somebody else is not noticing them, you know, like hidden opportunities when you only see the challenges. So, talking about uh, the organ, let's start um, with this question, which has been very interesting. How did you first fell in love with the organ? Do you remember those early days? Yes, I remember it um, exactly, really. Um, and this is because in about one month, it'll have been ten years uh, from that first time when I played the organ. Um, it all happened... Uh, without really any planning. I, I didn't know uh, the organ before I... Um, uh, for instance, when I was younger, the church uh, where I went, where my family went, didn't have an organ. And um, from the age of about five, I played the piano. And when I was in my early teenage years, I decided that I wanted to take this very seriously. And uh, I went to some summer camps for for the organ uh, no not sorry for piano mm-hmm. and then um, 
I remember for the summer of 2007, I was planning on uh, going to the Interlochen Arts Camp in mm-hmm. Michigan. And you have to have a certain number of classes and things to fill out your day there. And uh, I hadn't chosen enough. And so the admissions counselor called and she said, you haven't chosen enough. Uh, Could I recommend a few? And there was a music theory course, composition for, uh, for people who haven't really composed much. And then there was this course called Beginning Organ. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that sounds rather interesting. And uh, yeah, I'll do that. So I, I got there, and of course that first summer, all of my focus was on piano. Um, but on the side was this, this organ course, and I remember in the first week, uh, well, the first day even, the professor, uh, the, the instructor, Thomas Barra, he asked each one of us to go up to the instrument and with one of our piano pieces and play, play a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I remember taking the gig of the sixth French suite by Bach, and it was very strange because the, the, the sound wasn't immediate. There was a slight delay, and it, the keys were a little different. Um, and so that began a six-week program. And during that time, he had guest artists, and some of whom uh, were not much older than I was at the time. And I remember one uh, person, who's, he was probably about 20 years old, mm-hmm. he played this piece. Uh, now I know it. It's... Uh, a prelude by uh, William Bolcom, mm-hmm. and it has uh, pedal glissandi. It's very showy. G- gospel prelude? One of yes, the yeah, one of the gospel mm-hmm. preludes. Wonderful. And um, I just, suddenly this whole world of this new instrument opened to me, and uh, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. So I <laughs> uh, came back the next summer and eventually uh, spent my, my final year of high school mm-hmm. there at the, the academy. Um, so it really all came from that one, one summer. It's good that, uh, you know, there are such camps, right, like Interlochen mm. and, and other places where you can go and spend a couple of weeks, you know, among, you know, like-minded young people uh, and and get hooked, as you say, uh, and uh, discover new new instruments. And <laughs> this, this is wonderful. Um, do you remember what kind of organ was, that, was there? It's a 50-rank Reuter. Reuter. Um, in the chapel there, Dendrinos Chapel. And uh, there used to be, I believe, an Aeolian Skinner instrument there. But just a few years before I met this instrument, um, Reuter built um, a larger instrument out of uh, some of the the older uh, pipework. And uh, it has a, a, you know, brand new console, and it plays very easily. Um, Of course, at the time, I had nothing to compare it with mm-hmm. um, so that was that was the organ for me was that instrument um, and uh, since then i've I've played a number of uh, Reuters other instruments and they're all all really lovely there's a particularly fine one in um, Alexandria Louisiana mm-hmm. the Catholic Cathedral mm-hmm. um, and it's the the space is not not too big um, not too small I think it seats around maybe 250. Um, and it's as organ venues go it's a little bit more intimate than um, say a, a grand cathedral that seats thousands but it's very difficult to talk to them mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's it's a, a great place to play and uh, I'm looking forward to being there again uh, at the end of the month 
Wonderful. And you also, just a month ago, played at St. Paul's Cathedral here yes. in London. And um, uh, that's a fabulous place, right? It is. What was your experience on that instrument? It's, um, you know, it's, it's half of the instrument, but it's also half the space. When you have such a grand space like that, um, and the, the architecture and the building help the music so much, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's such um, a wonderful combination between uh, this amazing instrument and this equally amazing space. And it's rare when you have that combination. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other, but rarely is it, is it both in such high quality. Um, so I was, of course, ecstatic to play there and uh, played some favorites of mine. And um, it's, it's just a, a really... Um, it's, it, it'll be a great memory that I have mm-hmm. uh, for, for many, many years. And uh, I hope it's not the last time there. Um, it's, uh, there, there's so much great music making going on there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, so it, it has like, uh, this building has like, uh, like nine seconds of reverberation, yes. right? <laughs> At least it's, it's <laughs> extremely challenging to play virtuoso music. Then, it is. Right? Yes. And there's this, um, when I was there, there was, a um, there are of course two consoles. There was the, the, older console which is in the chancel and then there's the dome console and when I was there to practice um, because there was um, some setup going on for a service the following day I practiced on the chancel console but I actually performed on the dome console and uh, it's a very different experience but I'm really um, pleased that I had that because I think usually it's one or the other and you don't you don't get to play for several hours on both mm-hmm. um, the the chancel console I think you um, there's not as much of the room so you hear things a little clearer but what you don't hear is what they're hearing right um, when you're on the dome console you get a lot more of the room of course you're, you're directly under the dome um, so it's it's just a different experience you get a feel um, a sense of playing the room and I think that's I think that was very helpful because um, I was afraid when I was practicing the chancel console that things um, that I was being too hasty mm-hmm. um, if you can't hear the room then it's likely that you're being too hasty with things and you're not giving them enough time to, to develop in the room so I think um, having a chance at both uh, was helpful to get an idea of maybe what it sounds closer to the pipes and then what it sounds for the audience. Now you started organ playing in back back in 2007, right? Yes. And now 2017. In 10 years, you managed to play the one of the most spectacular organs in the world, right? St. Paul's Cathedral. When you first started playing in Interlachen, did you ever dream of going to London? Or was it like a... Like a later thought I think it must have been a later thought because um, I think one of the first um, instances of a faraway place uh, mentioned early on was Saint-Sulpice in Paris mm-hmm. um, one of the guest organists in that first summer played a symphony uh, movement from a symphony by Charles-Marie Vidor 
and uh, he had a couple words about the the program and this piece in particular I remember he mentioned stencil piece in Paris mm-hmm. and I thought you should I don't, go I, I, you know I, I've never been sounds nice and if, if this is the kind of organ music they're writing uh, in Paris then that's the place mm-hmm. <laughs> to be um, so then I think slowly um, I collected CDs and uh, and got to know different composers and where they worked and where they performed and all these sort of things and then suddenly you realize that there are these really special places uh, almost places of pilgrimage for organists mm-hmm. um, and and St. Paul's is, is certainly one of those um, Notre Dame in Paris Saint-Sulpice, Saint-Ouen um, these are the places where um Organists are just—they love these places, right? Right. You know? right. Um, or in America uh, with the Wanamakers, mm-hmm. which is now in Macy's. Um, these are all really special places, and and then I started to realize um, how different each organ is when we consider on one end of the spectrum um, the Italian Baroque organ in Rochester, New York, in the Art Gallery. That's a one manual instrument. The pedals are, um, they're very uh, simple. Mm-hmm. It's not a full pedal board. It's nothing like, like, one like a modern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One and, um, and then when you go, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, perhaps um, St. Paul's or uh, also the, another mammoth instrument is uh, the Anglican Cathedral in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. When you consider that those instruments have... So many pipes, mm-hmm. so many manuals, so many pedals, uh, divisions under expression, um, that there's just this amazing range. And uh, that's part of the fun, is, is seeing these different places. So, yeah, I think at first I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly St. Paul's is one of the first ones, first places that you realize as a young organist that um, that's a place I'd really like to visit. To become an organist like you are today, probably you need some mentors, right? You would not be able to do this on your own, right? You Very need some mentors, teachers, coaches, yes. right? People who who can push you, yes. who can motivate you, things like that. What were some of the most significant mentors for you so far? Well, um, certainly my first organ teacher in Interlaken, um, I, you know, owe it really all to him from that, those beginning, those initial lessons. Um, and then I, I wanted to model myself uh, in some ways after what he had done, because he had, um, he's very successful, and he, I was, still am, mm-hmm. um, love his playing. And um, so I, I thought, well, where did he go to school? Who were his mentors? And, and one of his mentors was David Higgs at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York. And um, so when it was time to audition and, and to look at various schools in the United States, um, Eastman already from the beginning had a really high place in my mind. And um, I had four really wonderful years there and uh, really learned a lot from everyone on the faculty, mm-hmm. Hans Davidson, uh, William Porter. And in my last year, 
uh, there were two visiting professors, Eduardo Blatti and Michel Bouvard. And uh, so also learning from the community, it's a very large organ department, and you get a sense of, um, you know, when you have 30, 35 different students from, uh, they could be freshmen to doctoral candidates, you get a wide range of viewpoints and ways of doing things, and they, we had all come from various backgrounds, so it's just a really great community in that way. And then um, I had a number of, of mentors in England, one of whom was uh, William McVicker, who's mm-hmm. the organ curator at the Royal Festival Hall, and um, actually just saw him last week, and uh, he's such a, a fount of knowledge about so many things that deal with either organists, organ playing, organ building. Um, so it's, it's always great to, to have a chance to sort of uh, speak with him and, and, uh, and, you know, see how he's doing and, and what he's working on. He's always working on very, very interesting projects um, with these instruments. A lot of times nobody's even heard of, mm-hmm. uh, but it might be some, uh, you know, fantastic Willis instrument that, that's... Um, laid dormant for a little bit and now somebody's found some money to, to restore it and, and bring it back to, to shape. And then uh, just recently I uh, spent two years at the Yale School of Music and my mentor there was uh, Professor Thomas Murray and uh, Professor Murray is very um, nurturing in, in terms of uh, guiding his students and he really um, you can tell that he really cares mm-hmm. um, and that he he's always um, listening to to what we might want to do and and what our aspirations and goals are, and then but offering really helpful um, feedback and giving us new ways of thinking of things. And it it might be um, something simple and something you might expect, like a a way of registering a piece that you hadn't thought of before, um, or it might be. <clears throat> Maybe something in your career that you hadn't thought of that you might um, might be best for you to you know consider doing something another way. Um, and he's of course known for um, playing on on these grand symphonic instruments. Yeah. And of course, there's Woolsey Hall there, uh, the E.M. Skinner organ. So um, you know, I, I can't think of anyone better really to get an idea of how to play those instruments than mm-hmm, than from. Mm-hmm. Tom Murray. Fantastic. And Martin Jean, did you did you yes. study with him um, personally or just generally? Just generally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I think probably on the the organist trip last mm-hmm. year is when uh, I got to know him a little bit better and uh, and learn a little bit more about his approach to uh, to instruments and to to all those sort of things. Um, but I never uh, studied with them personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a great dynamic there at Yale between the two professors, and um, it's a smaller uh, studio, I think about 12, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the students are divided between the two professors. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's very different in that sense, but also, um, you know, being an undergrad is different from being a graduate student. So it was it was nice to have a... Uh, a change of pace mm-hmm. and uh, a different dynamic. So wonderful! I think uh, you have a great start, uh, which is really promising. 
uh, when Osha and I met you one, one year ago, last year, we saw something in you that my thought we'll be seeing you one more time, at least once <laughs> here in Vilnius, <laughs> because really uh, it stuck impression, the first impression was that you stand, stood out from this entire group not necessarily because of, of giving the card to us there were another, other people whom we connected and communicated with really great students and we listened to them play, but somehow you had something in uh, uh, like a vision uh, which surpasses this Yale department and going to the far into the future so, um, but it, it wasn't always easy, right? Organ playing wasn't easy <laughs> for you. Uh, do you remember those days when you first started? And uh, what was the most challenging for you thing back then? Oh, um, I distinctly remember having trouble finding the right bench height. Bench height? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because... If I wasn't falling into the keys, I felt like I was falling off of the bench. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of experimentation and getting comfortable. And I think in the early stages, maybe staying, as I did, at one instrument mm -hmm. and trying very hard to get comfortable with that one instrument. And when you're comfortable with one, then maybe move on to something similar. Um, but I remember, you know, lowering the bench a little bit or making it a little bit higher or moving the, moving the actual bench further back or mm -hmm. moving it forward. And I think in the end, what was very strange um, is that I discovered I sit actually very low mm -hmm. on the bench and I, and I sit fairly close to the organ. Um, I can't explain why that is. But that's what's comfortable, and it always that, has this been. This is kind of comfortable. Yeah. Um, that, it's that, comfortable that. for me. It doesn't match up with my height, because there are um, numerous people I've met who are a similar height, and they have a very different um, approach. Um, I remember playing uh, for one of the studio classes at Eastman, and uh, just before me was uh, a much shorter... Asian student mm -hmm. and she as you can imagine yes. sh sits with a, a very low bench and sits very close to the organ and I didn't move the bench at all mm -hmm. after she was done playing I just sat down and played um, which is very strange mm -hmm. um, but it works so your so, abdominal muscles must be very well developed then right because when you sit low you have to tense your your yes uh, your your muscles right and your legs yeah um so that that could be also i maybe it had to do something with the um sitting at the piano mm -hmm. and how close i felt was comfortable being to the keys mm -hmm. um that may have also had something to do with it um so it, it's probably a number of factors but uh, luckily now i I can adjust the bench very quickly and mm -hmm. uh, and just get on with things. And that's, you know, after years of going around to various instruments and uh, having different experiences at each one, you realize, okay, this is comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and even sometimes, you know, with organ benches, particularly on historic instruments that don't, uh, that aren't adjustable. Mm -hmm. 
that can sometimes be more tricky, but um, still there's a way. There's always a way of adjusting it so that you're, mm-hmm. you're comfortable. And um, that's one of the things in teaching organ students um, that's very challenging at first because they often say, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm falling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, then uh, this isn't right. Or, or they'll be seated so far back that they just look like they're stretching you know, five feet away from them to reach the keys. So it's always about striking a balance. Mm-hmm. So when you think back uh, from those about those 10 years, right, when you first started playing the organ, and this year you played one of the most spectacular organs in the world at St. Paul's, um, what were some of the things you noticed that you had to learn over the, these 10 years that um, changed everything and helped you become who you are today? Hmm. That's a great question. And of course, they will help others <laughs> yes. who will listen to this. Well, I think there's also one of the things I think about with regard to that question is I think at some point um, every organist has to find places in the repertoire, pieces, time periods, and those sort of things to which they particularly relate Mm -hmm. and things that um, you really want to delve deeper into Uh, and that is something once obviously when you're you're starting out you need to essentially do a survey of everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's so much repertoire Um, just to learn the basics just to learn just to learn the basics and Mm -hmm. and the, the the different approaches of of different national styles and time periods um but then when you start to travel a little bit and you come across instruments that the composers themselves played, then it all starts to make sense. Um, when you play uh, Weckmann on a, on a Schnitger instrument, uh, perhaps at Norden in Germany, things start to make much more sense than if you're playing it on an American instrument from the 1950s. That it's, it's a totally different world. Um, so I think if if somebody has that opportunity to to find out these instruments and and uh, really learn more about them, then I think it can help to understand the music. Um, and uh, another thing that I've learned is, particularly when you're traveling and you're you're playing on new instruments. When I was younger. And didn't have as many pieces that I could offer to play someplace. Um, you're inevitably sometimes caught in a situation where you're forcing a piece on an instrument that maybe doesn't want that piece mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, you know it might be under your fingers for you, but it might not be the right instrument. Um, so I think really paying careful attention to. Um, what's unique about the instrument and trying to find um, something that that you play well but that also will sound really nice on whatever instrument you're playing and then when you get there let the instrument tell you um, what it wants Mm -hmm. there uh, certain instruments I find very interesting for instance um, last week, I played a Father Willis instrument at the Reading Town Hall in England, 
And on that instrument, it's now been restored to its 1880 or so um, mechanisms. And it has these, it doesn't have any pistons, but it has these uh, composition pedals. Mm -hmm. And you can't change these. These were set by the builder. And it's very interesting when you, they're in order of um, softest to loudest. Mm -hmm. And when you put down the first one, you get an idea of, oh, that's what they, that's what they thought was a good sound for piano. Mm -hmm. And then you go through and you, uh, you can almost sort of pick the brain of the organ builder and get an idea of how they combine the stops. And you can learn from that. And then when you're um, setting up your own pieces, you probably won't stray too far from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, really letting the instrument tell you what it wants and listening to the instrument. Um, you know, on a lot of instruments... Let's say you're you're you want a full sound. If you add um, certain eight foot sounds or certain four foot stops, they they just take wind and they don't actually add any um, character. Uh, yeah, they don't add anything to Color. the sound. They just take more wind from it, and and you're um, then the you know if you're playing quickly, then the organ sounds like it's it's wheezing. So you have to really listen and think: Do I need this stop? Mm-hmm. And um, is it necessary for the sound that you want? Really great idea to listen to the instrument and uh, and uh, apply that knowledge, right, that insight to other situations when you travel, right, when you feel this ideal sound, ideal registration, and then you transfer to another situation mm. where the organ may, might be different, but you have this ideal sound in your head already from the memory, and you just have to adapt, probably. Mm. Uh, interesting. Um, so, how is uh, Vilnius organ helping you to adapt well, tonight? It, it's everything is is um, I think working really well. And um, with this instrument in particular, of course, you also have this space. And uh, in in America, we don't have a lot of these spaces. Mm-hmm. It's slightly different. Um, it's uh, organists are always American organists are always spoiled a little bit coming over to Europe because more often than not, the space is uh, more generous, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of fun. Um, but there are a lot of really lovely sounds. I, I I'm beginning the concert with Mendelssohn's Third Sonata, mm-hmm. and I had to really take my time figuring out things because there's so many great options. Um, there are a lot of different ways um, that you can register that piece on this instrument, a lot of colorful sounds. And um, also another piece that I'm really looking forward to on the program is Arvo Pertz Anam Peranam. Mm-hmm. And um, he calls for very unorthodox sounds. And with most instruments, you have to do a little bit of um, sort of figuring out what's best. Some Right from the beginning, he calls for uh, two-foot flutes on all manuals. Well, not all organs have mm-hmm. two-foot flutes on all manuals. So, um, But what we do have here uh, at St. John's are um, a lot of lovely four-foot flutes. We have there are a lot more four-foot flutes than there are two-foot flutes, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, all you have to do is move your hand up one octave, and you have this 
most amazing two foot flute that although it doesn't exist on a on a stop you have it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the range is such that it works out perfectly mm-hmm. and then he calls for a, a um, in the second movement he calls for the crumb horn mm-hmm. and uh, it sounds great here mm-hmm. um, yeah it's it's quite a strong crumb horn I think but yes the, but this the space allows for it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, I think it's accompanied by the principal on on the first manual and they work really well together sometimes the crumb horn is too little and the principal is too much mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes it could be that the crumb horn is too much and the principal is too little but here at least from where I'm sitting it it sounds like it's working really well um, and then he goes on you know in the middle there's um, when he goes from uh, essentially a D minor center to a D major center mm-hmm. in the middle of the work uh, he asks to add mixtures on every manual well again um, not all instruments have that but what I've done here is I've chosen the most important voice and added a, an extra mixture on that so we still get the uh, the sense of height and joy that comes with that movement um, but without um, without actually pulling on three extra mixtures so um, it works mm-hmm. just as well and uh, later this afternoon we're going to try and uh, we're going to try with the opening, which of course is very special because you um, play these very loud chords and just repeated chords, and then um, someone turns off the organ. And uh, this could go a number of ways, but I think it's going to work out really well that it, mm-hmm. it sort of loses its energy gradually and consistently and uh, achieves the desired effect, I think, that Parrot was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this piece, I think I've heard this piece performed in this space one at least once mm-hmm. and uh, it seems like like this instrument might accommodate uh, a composer's idea as well mm-hmm. wonderful so a lot of things to think about tonight <laughs> right and we are getting ready right for the final run through <laughs> and i'll be, will be assisting you, you turning the pages and helping you with the registration so i hope our listeners um, will enjoy uh, downstairs of course listeners enjoy this recital and I thought that this mass by Arvo Pert like Anum Per Anum might be a fantastic uh, title mm. for the yes. entire program yes right so I took the liberty of naming your entire <laughs> program Anum <laughs> Per Anum which is which which is appropriate because it's really in the middle yes. of the entire program, right? But you will be playing something else too after that. Yes, uh, after that I'm uh, playing let's see, we've got uh, Brahms Growl Prelude mm-hmm. um, to, to relax and then yes, prepare for yes. something else. Right? Yes, and uh, there's also a um, 20th century work that I um, play quite often, Soliloquy by David Conti and uh, that's working really well on this instrument. Um, David Conti in this work calls for a number of solo sounds, uh, solo flutes and, and a solo principal sound, and um, it's, it's working really, really well. And then finishing uh, with the work by Johann Sebastian Bach, uh, the great wedge, Prelude mm-hmm. and Fugue, and uh, yeah, that's just a, a great great piece to play um it's it's becoming 
quite a favorite of mine. I, I love so many of Bach's organ works. Um, and uh, so this is, this is no exception mm-hmm. for that. Well, a very interesting ordering of the program, right? You end with the Bach, not yes. start with the Bach. <laughs> How did you well, find this um, idea? I've a lot of the concerts I have played in the last month. Um, I have started either with Mendelssohn's Third Sonata or uh, John Ireland's Capriccio. They're both. Uh, very different beginnings. Of course, the the Mendelssohn I like at the beginning because it has this great march that Mm -hmm. he wrote for his sister. And I think it's just a nice way to open. Um, It's very bright. It it catches people's attention. And then, um, as soon as we're um, uh, beyond the march, we're into the fugue and Aus Tifa note and uh, then the build-up of energy, and then finally returning back to the march. And uh, it's a piece that, if you're playing the entire sonata, you cannot finish the recital with this, because Mm -hmm. there's uh, the second movement, which is uh, very strange, because it's it's very soft and delicate. Mm -hmm. You you might be able to end a recital with the first movement alone, but you certainly can't end it with both movements. That would be a very strange ending. Um, the reason for the wedge at the end um, really has to do with the fugue. There's a great buildup of energy um, in the fugue, and it's very athletic. It's, um, I would say, very virtuosic. <laughs> um, and uh, it's it really... Uh, captures the end very well um, of course you have to save some energy <laughs> for the end um, but that's fine, that's, that's on me mm-hmm. not on the listener um, and it's, it's just a, sort of a, a great uh, final word so to say and it's always great to have Bach on the program because, yes. because well let's face it <laughs> it's hard to find another composer like Bach yes. who would be more impressive to to people who will be listening to you. Right? Yes. Yeah. So wonderful. Let's go now and practice uh, some of the registration changes with you. Uh, but before we end, uh, uh, where will we be playing next? For example, uh, my next recital will be at the Interlochen Center for the Arts. Oh, you are coming On, back. To yes, your exactly. Alma mater. Yes, almost uh, almost exactly ten years to the day. Um, that's going to be at the end of July. I think it's possibly July 28th or 30th. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a Sunday, whichever one that is. So when this our podcast conversation goes live, you will be yes, uh, I will have done, already have already. <laughs> but uh, the next recital after that will be um, in Tyler, Texas, at First Presbyterian Church. I think September 10th, and uh, that'll be the first recital. I hope of many at that church as I'm their uh, new director of music and organist fantastic so, so I hope your new congregation will appreciate your skills your, your gift, uh, gifts and generosity that you will be providing uh, for years to come right and uh, I hope you will develop uh, or expand your current musical program there and and share the, those gifts with, with people wonderful so let's go now to the church but before right. we end <laughs> 
could you give our listeners a link where they could f- contact you and say hello, feedback, yes. and maybe maybe find out more about you and your work? Of course. Uh, so www.westonjennings.com is uh, probably the easiest easiest. Mm-hmm. Uh, easiest place to find me. On there, you'll find a uh, in the top right-hand corner where you can sign up for my newsletter, which I send out every couple of months. Uh, with various uh, things that I'm doing. And uh, you can also watch some of my videos, listen to some of my uh, recordings on SoundCloud, and read more about me and where I'm playing next. Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Weston. It was, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. It was fun. We should do this more often. Yes, likewise. Thank you. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt, where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavichus. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you online really soon.